Hello, this is Ryan Chapman with Fix Your Funnel, and I'm excited today to have Brent Attaway with us. <clears throat> Brent is one of our longest customers. He was with us before Fix Your Funnel was even called Fix Your Funnel. I don't know if you remember, we called it Infusion Machines for like a week before <laughs> we changed the name. But uh, Brent, actually, I think you were you were working with our one-click upsell script before it was we even really had a company. It was just something we were selling. Yeah, yeah, that's that and the send out card integration. Yes. Yeah, when that came on the scene, so that was before we got into text messaging and and handling the phones and all that. So, uh, old timer here today. Now, Brent, tell everybody a little bit about who you are and what you do, and uh, if you want to, you can go into how you got there. Yeah, um, I'm overall I'm right here in Utah. Um, live up in the mountains in Park City. I'm actually from Utah. Um, just, just have. I mean, I'm a regular dude, I guess. So, <laughs> married and have a couple boys, nine and five at this point, um, and been married for quite a while. I think like 13 years now, or something like that. Awesome. So it's um, yeah, just that. That's the personal side of things. Overall, I own a um, company that's called 10x Marketing. I also have another company. Um, that's called shift as in shifting gears or shift my body and that's my wife's business so she's actually one of those you know um, what would you call it um, info infopreneurs or experts um, that coaches and teaches on um, women how to get in shape and, and all that fun stuff and you so kind of run the back end of the business for, for that one right right that's that's actually how I got into the business. I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit, but that's how I got into... Um, well, go ahead. Tell us that story. I mean, how did you get to where you have your company 10X Marketing today? Yeah, well, yeah, that started... So I used to own a sign company when I was... Uh, let's see, I jumped in. I was in college, and I bought a sign company, like a franchise, yeah. so sign and printing. So we printed, like, you know, vehicle wraps and banner stands, things like that. So I got in, I, I bought that when I was, what, 24, so this is exactly uh, 10 years ago. Okay. And from there, had that for about five years, grew that, and just as fast as I was growing it, I was, or, you know, the sales, I ran the expenses just as high. <laughs> so, <laughs> so grew that right into the ground, that's what I always say. <laughs> so, like, um, so, it, Basically, that's really interesting. We'll have to come back to that if we have time. <laughs> so we went, anyways. We I that's where business started for me, but that's kind of where marketing started for me as well. I mean, that's naturally I was in the business of helping other, you know, I was doing B two B. Yeah, other businesses market themselves through signage and and so on, and that's that's when I got into it, and um, and from there, once we. We pretty it was the equivalent of a short sell of a business. Yeah, <laughs> we got rid of our business. We were we my my wife had been doing nutrition and fitness and just training like most people who if if anyone's listening to this and they've been like a personal trainer or fitness and consultant and they had people come to their home or they're training people at the gym just anything where they were giving nutrition or fitness advice or training them personally training them. Yeah, that's what my wife did for years, uh, six, seven years, um, up until that point. This was 2008. Okay. So anyways, that's, that's 
right there is I, I thought, you know what, let's, I started just barely getting into how to market information and get your, get your own information out there. Who were some of the people that you listened to in those early days? Uh, let's see, the first one ever, Mike Koenigs. Okay. So, yeah, so uh, Traffic Geyser, and I think I was looking at um, just and it really, I had no idea what the power of any of this was. Like, I didn't use technology whatsoever. Yeah. Um, to to market my business, I was used to using signs, right? Printing them. Yeah. So, um, anyways, that's that's where it all started. And um, I, we took my wife's name is Christy. It became Christy Approved, and that doesn't exist anymore. If you look it up, I think someone's bought that domain. And within two years, we grew that to a very, very quick success. It got lucky with some hard work, but overall I will fully attribute it, attribute it to luck. So, um, yeah, it's funny you say that because, you know, if, if you're listening for that, you'll hear that, you know, some of the most successful people will throw that in with, you know, the hard work part, you know, being at the right place at the right time, you know, doing a few things that you didn't know what you were doing at the moment, but it turned out it was exactly the right thing to do. It's interesting how that seems to be a, comp a part of the component of success, which I think is kind of might, might be a little disturbing or disheartening to some people. But it's interesting how that shows up when you try and prepare yourself the best you can and, and put yourself in a place where you can be ready for it. Yeah. Well, and for me, I mean, personally, what's happened too is it seems to show up. That luck shows up after massive failure. <laughs> so. Yeah. Um, and I don't mean you have to lose a business. I just mean you, you, you have to try, you have yeah. to be doing, you know, cause not everything we do succeeds right off the bat, but if you're not doing anything, but the likelihood of luck showing up is really slim. I, that's, that's been my personal experience as well. Yeah. Yeah. The, in fact, on that note, I think is super important is, um, when I first bought my business when I was 24 and I was I say 24 cause I seem so much younger now. Um, <laughs> the, the, um, book I was reading was called the cracking the millionaire code uh -huh. or G Allen, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> I was reading that and I just remember him stating, or I don't know if it was him, he co-authored it with, I forget who it was, but I just remember it was Robert, um, or Bob, I guess on, on it. As, as I know him at this point. But the, the point is I'm reading his book and it says, I don't know anybody that's been successful that hasn't gone through bankruptcy. And I was like, well, hell. <laughs> I don't want to have to go through that, you know, <laughs> just to be successful. But um, sure enough, that's already ha happened. Not not proud of it, but sure enough, that has already happened. So at least I got that off the out of the way. <laughs> yeah, there you go. You don't have to do that uh, again. <laughs> anyways, the, back to that. That's I mean, it came full circle though. We started that fitness um, company um, with my wife. It grew really quick, and we were able to um, sell that to a, a company, actually a multi-level company called Zango. It's a multi-billion dollar. I don't, I don't think it's multi-billion dollar anymore. It <laughs> was think, at a time though. Yes. They, uh, most of those companies kind of go really high and then kaplunk eventually in my opinion. But yeah. Um, yeah, that's, that's where it began for me. And that's where I learned how to build a list. That's when I learned And right then I was actually, here's the funny part. Um, as many of your listeners are going to be recognizing what I'm about to say, which is Infusionsoft stuff. When I was 
looking around, I was using Aweber at the time, which is oh, a cool yeah. record. And I, I saw an email. I didn't know who Frank Kern was at all. Mm-hmm. I saw this email about Frank Kern. Some kind, it's probably through Mike Koenigs or someone yeah. who I heard first, right? And so I get this affiliate email and I opt into Frank's stuff. And I get this email from Frank. I still don't even know who he is or what he's doing. I see, I'm like, well, who does this guy use? You know? <laughs> and he had the little Infusionsoft logo down in the corner of the email. Yeah. That's, that's how I found out about Infusionsoft. <laughs> that seems to be the case. I mean, if anyone's a student and they're looking around, they'll see a, a lot of the people that are very active in marketing. Yeah, we'll yeah. have that that link down there. Even if they go away for a moment, they'll come back. <laughs> yeah. So I think I think Frank's been getting paid on Infusionsoft from me for years now. So <laughs> that's how I look at it. He's got some kind of affiliate thing, probably. Anyways, that's that's kind of where it started for me. It was that one business, and then from there we've kicked off another one because um, we sold that one. We had a non-compete, so we had to wait a couple years. And then we started another one, almost identical, but we started, we didn't um, actually sell anything more than $150 with that Christie approved business, the one we sold, uh-huh. Zango. We didn't, we didn't have, believe that or not, we didn't have a product really anything more than $150. We had to sell that over and over and over again. We just happened to be really successful at doing that. Yeah. So it was horrible, a horrible, oh. a horrible model. Well, so, yeah, so people aren't familiar with information marketing. Um, there's a number of different ways to go about uh, selling and, and setting up that model. And one of the toughest is just doing uh, product or products sales versus product and membership or some sort of recurring. So if, because basically what that means is if you ever have a bad month, your income's gone, right? Right. Yeah, and if you want to grow it, you have to figure out how to sell more and more and more of that thing. And unless you can sell more things to that same audience, you're always having to find new people, which is the most expensive and difficult activity to do. Right, right. Yeah, that's and that's was not fun. I mean, it was good because I was the one who was in charge. So we had two business partners at the time and then my wife. So there's four of us in charge of different things. Yeah. And they just threw me into the marketing side of things because I happened to be the one that knew knew it the most. I wasn't great at marketing it at the time. I just kind of was learning it, right? And um, specifically, um, what we would probably reference is online marketing or just information marketing. At this yeah. point. So that's that's how I got into it right there with that Christie approved business. That eventually became Live the Life Fitness right before we sold it. Um, so that's, and then you took everything you learned from that version, and then you put that into the next version that your wife did, right? And that's and so right in between, before we started that one where we had the non compete. Yeah. What happened is I really got passionate about marketing, like that was my thing, right? So yeah. it still is. So that was where I figured out this is what I want to do. This is what I want to get into, and. Um, and people just started asking me, how did you do that, right, with the, with the Christie approved one, the, the Live the Life Fitness one? That was – and so I just started helping people do the same. And so that was in real estate. That was in um, all kinds of different – other fitness um, companies naturally wanted to me to figure out how to get there. <clears throat> because it was like we weren't – no longer was my wife training people and she was getting paid ten times more, right? So like <laughs> – She's not even training them. She's not even seeing them, and people are paying her more money. 
And so it was interesting. Well, that's another interesting point about leverage that comes from, for those who don't maybe sell information yet, to understand that when you can sell information, the leverage it gives you, because now she's no longer trading her time for money, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that was awesome. And you can increase the value of your time, but you can only increase it so far. And the higher it goes, the smaller the audience gets. And uh, there's nothing against that. But if you're, it's just time for money, it's very difficult to get the kind of leverage that you were able to get with your wife's business. Yeah, yeah. And so that's that's it. I mean, that's kind of where it started. When we when two year fast forward two years, shift is the name of the company that still exists. We still own that. We don't have any business partners in that, which is nice. Um, and I flipped that model upside down. I was like, I am not selling anything for 150 bucks. <laughs> we went straight for coaching, you know, or um, con continuity program of some sort. We didn't know which, I didn't know for sure, so I, I kind of fumbled through it, but we started out with a, oh, $47 a month to $150 a month, and we had, um, oh, I think, I think, I think that's that's another interrupt yeah. moment too. <laughs> People that have listened to the podcast know I like to interrupt, but that's another interrupt moment because of this. Um, you said you didn't know going into it, so you kind of had to fumble through. Sometimes I see people get hung up because they're trying to get it exactly right before they start. Yeah. And the reality is you don't know. You don't know until you try. And so you have to test your way through things. You have to try some stuff out. Some things might not work out, but like, and you can probably attest to this, that most of marketing is failure sprinkled with some successes. And then those successes just have to offset the failures in terms of efforts, initiatives or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's definitely mostly a failure of testing and so on. So that's a, that is a great, great point. Well, and again, I want to explain that when we say failure, it doesn't mean you're bad or you did something wrong. It just means it didn't work out. Yeah. And that's, you know, it's, I think it's a loaded word. You know, I, when I, I went to Brazil for a couple of years and so I learned Portuguese and I spoke Portuguese, but something I learned when I was speaking Portuguese is that the words didn't have the same depth of meaning as the English words I'd grown up with. You know, so somebody could swear at me. It didn't mean anything. You know? <laughs> <laughs> they, could, they could swear away because I didn't have any uh, association of feeling with any of those words. So to me, they were just, you know, sounds that were being made. Yeah. And unless I could directly translate that and then feel the actual meaning of the word, uh, didn't make any difference to me emotionally. And so same, the same thing with uh, some words that we have today. So some people, when they hear failure or fail or, you know, didn't work, they, those mean things to them that are beyond what the, the word really is sign signifying, you know, what its significance okay. is. And I think if you can re define some of these words, then you won't have to be afraid of them. I know there's a lady that said that her dad every day when she got home from you know school or whatever would ask the kids at the table, what did you fail at today? And it wasn't a negative thing. It was just a, what did you try and didn't work out? And it was a learning opportunity for them. And they came to accept failure as par for the course instead of something to be avoided at all costs. And the only way I know to avoid failure at all costs is to actually sit and do nothing. And then even then you'll be attracting failure of the real sort. <laughs> so with that interruption, now I understand, and I think this is kind of interesting for people to hear too. So you started out, you know, listening to Mike Kennigs and then you, you ran into an email from Frank Kern and today 
you actually are assisting Frank Kern setting up uh, some programs to help with marketing. Yeah, yeah, that came full circle, which was just awesome because, of course, I kept following um, Frank, and so I became one of those Frankites, you know, uh-huh. followers, <laughs> trying to follow, and, and really became a fan, and um, just resonated with how simple he made makes marketing. That's, I mean, really it. Why I like it. That's how I could simplify it the most, and that was um, just this last year in 2014. We were able to. Um, connect that way and really just it, it was kind of a funny thing it just I was happened to fly out to go to Bob's house Robert Allen's house speaking of yeah Robert Allen I've had a couple situations where I was like Man, I, a, we, so you, this guy's books and now I <laughs> were you doing work for Robert um, doing work for him is what but as well I was he invited me to come speak at his house he has this big um, mansion up in Rancho Santa Fe is that what it's called yeah so, um, because he was running some more or less mastermind or, you know, more intimate meetings there and he, I came and um, spoke on marketing funnels and how to build those out and so on. So, so cool. he, he had me come there and right as I'm getting on the plane here from Salt Lake City, um, Frank texts me because I, I've been trying to get a hold of him and just say, Hey, let's, let's do business together basically. But, um, it was, it was a little more, um, you know. Yeah. complicated than that but I'll just sum it up like that and he happens to text me and say hey um, I need your help can can you you know get on the phone today and I was like well man I'm about to fly into your backyard <laughs> so um, and he said well come on over so that was it so came over to his house went went over a few things and and then, and then from there, it didn't go anywhere except, um, you know, hey, we sh- we were he was actually just asking um, 10x Marketing, my company, to just help with some things. That was it yeah. with with building out uh, whether it was Infusionsoft or just his funnel in general. And um, because he did, you know, he's he's one of those do-it-yourself guys. He knows how to do a lot of it. Frank's actually super intelligent. Yeah, so, man, he he likes to make himself out not intelligent, which I think everyone that's obvious that he is, but. Yeah. He's he's very technical, technical, techy and savvy yeah. way, and so he, it's like a double-edged sword, though. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> you want to do everything yourself, <laughs> and and you really shouldn't, but you end up doing more than you should. Yeah. Well, that's really cool, you know, and that's interesting. I've seen that full circle thing happen for a lot of people who are are hustling. You know, they're just they're really. I, like I say, if you're going to make a decision, jump all in. And I can tell that that's something that's kind of a habit for you. When you decide to do something, you go all in. You don't hold back. And uh, it, my observation, as well as personal experience, has been that when we do that, then things, interesting things happen that end up coming full circle. And it's kind of cool. We, I, think, I think it's like a, a sign almost to you to say, hey, keep on going. You're on the right track. Because uh, sometimes it can be a little discouraging. I'm sure you've had some discouraging moments along the way. I mean, we've been highlighting some of the, you know, the best things that have happened. But I'm sure there's some discouragement that has occurred. Extreme. Yeah, extremely. I mean, back to real quick, back to the yeah. note of all in. Um, that's one of the words I use. I learned from a guy named Oh uh, man, now I'm trying to remember his last name, but he wrote the book Aspire. Kevin. Uh-huh. Anyways, terrible names. He um, the book is Aspire, 
Uh-huh. And what he goes through, and he's an etymologist. Is that how you say it? Well, study. So. He, he studies words. I mean, he's like an expert in words of all things to be an expert in, right? That's and, cool. I love words. Yeah, and what they mean, the true meaning behind them, and where they originate. And one of the words he found was all in, O-L-L-I-N. And that was a different all in. I mean, it means almost the same thing when you, the way you referenced it, but... It's basically how I remember it. This was years ago, um, 2000, I think, 9, um, when I first read it. And since then, I was like, maybe I already go all in with things. But since then, it was like, okay, I'm going all in, right? So, so O, it, how do you spell it again? O-L-L-I-N. You can't find it in the dictionary yet, I don't think. And what, what is it? What did he say it meant? Uh, the short definition is, is like when a surfer goes into the ocean and they have to if you're gonna uh, you with a board you know you've got to dive in there's no kind of (laughs) tiptoeing in there's no kind of uh uh-huh you've got to go right in if you're gonna go make it through the waves and get out there right if you're gonna surf the waves you've got to be willing to go all in dive in it's gonna be cold it's gonna be you're gonna swallow salt water you're gonna do all kinds of stuff to get out there yeah and so that's how he defined it but it was there's no um, there's no taking it, so what you would part, think. Part yeah. yeah. Well, and here's what's interesting too, and I, well, hopefully we'll, we'll bring it back to real world application in just a second here. But yeah. my observation has been, and again, my personal experience as well, is there's really no such thing as playing it safe anyway. Um, when, when we seek to play it safe, essentially what we do is we guarantee that we're not going to reach our goals. You, you really can't do it now. That's not to say that you don't not you should not be judicious in making the decisions about where you're going to go. Um, I think by all means, you need to weigh out the risk and the reward and, and make those those sort of evaluations. But once the evaluation is done, once the decision is made, then you don't go halfway. You got to go all in because if you don't go all in, I guarantee you won't get to where you want to go. So it's not a, a matter of being risky or just doing whatever. It's a matter of once you commit, don't give up. I mean, because sometimes there's what we call beginner's luck and things will work out really well for the first step. And that's sort of like encouragement to keep on going. But then what will happen is you're, you're going to hit uh, challenge and difficulty. And at that point, you have a decision that you can either try and make or you can stay true to your original decision. And my, my my experience, what I've seen is just that if you stay true to your original decision at that point, if you thought it through in the first place, right, yeah. you'll, you'll get through that, that moment, that time, that epic or whatever the, the period of time is, and you will figure it out if you continue to try and push forward. So just in case someone listening is finding themselves in that moment of discouragement or that time, uh, or it can be years too. It's not always just a short time. Yeah. But if you're in that discouragement period, don't give up, you know, educate yourself more, try more, you know, look for more options, you know, take time to stop and think as well. And uh, you'll find the answer. It's that's just the way it works. But you just have to be persistent. You can't give up. You can't, you know, like I see people that want to be ambitious, but every free moment they're playing a game on their phone or they're watching TV in the evenings. And, you know, they're not doing the things that need to be done in order to get to where they want to go. So it is just merely a wish. It's not actually a decision that's been made. Because once you make that decision, you say, hey, I want to create something. I want to do this. Um, There's work that has to be done. There's a price that has to be paid. 
there's no such thing as a free lunch that I've seen. And so, you know, you have to accept the fact that you're going to have to work hard to get to it and you can't go halfway at all. Yeah. I mean, Ryan, the, the formula that I figured out over time, which everyone figures out, it's not my formula. I'm saying you can pretty much guarantee if you know you're on the right path. If you hit some success up front, gets you excited, you know something bad is about to happen after that. <laughs> and after bad, and you endure that part, um, things start rolling. It doesn't mean they just go perfect after that, but after they start moving forward, right? Yeah. Well, the 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 what I've learned is if you can anticipate those little steps, and it's a little different, but basically, beginner's luck. Then comes then comes some. Um, stress and hard time to figure out how to get through that piece that you're talking about, that bump in the road. Yeah. And then, and then after that, you, as long as you can get through it, you actually have a high, high chance because most people quit at that first bump. Yeah. You have a very, all your competition goes away. So, um, and so, that's the thing It's really competition is so limited. You know, people think that it's, it's pretty intense. But the biggest competition is internal, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and so that's the the last part of that. Or once I figured that out, just those two little steps to get through, and and then realize, okay, and then of course knowing, okay, do I want to do this long term? Now that I've gone through some success and um, so called failure with it, is this something I want to keep doing? Right, and question yeah. that. And most of the time it is, but. I've just now I've just turned up the dial. I just or I just dialed it up. I was just like, well, man, why don't I just go? When I'm saying going all in, I'm going to go all in and put a goal out there that says this, not such a small goal, because I might as well go. <laughs> well, so, the thing is, you're going to put forth the effort anyway. Yeah. I mean, it, 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 as long as you keep in check the things that are most important. I've seen people also go the other extreme where they lose the things that are most important in life in the pursuit of those goals. But I think you can keep both in check. I mean, it doesn't mean you're always in balance, but you can be like, you look at somebody that's riding a, you know, have you seen those balance boards where they have the round uh, pole or whatever? And then they got the wood on either side or across the top of it. Yeah. And yep. it's like for surfers, for them to, you know, train or whatever, they're never really in balance. They're always adjusting to stay in balance. And that's, that's the reality of life. I mean, sometimes you're going to be staying up and focusing a whole lot on a project that you got to get done to move towards your ultimate goal. And other times you're going to be able to, you know, focus more on those things that are more important, which are, you know, your family, loved ones, spirituality, those things. Yeah. But you'll be able to keep those things in, in, uh, not in a balance at one moment in time, but overall, as you, you pay attention to them. All right, well, let's get into some of this technology stuff because this is a fun part as well. And I know you have a lot to share in this area because that's why people like Frank Kern and Robert Allen are seeking you out is because you're taking uh, some great technologies and really getting leverage with them. What are your favorite uh, leverage points that you get with technology? I mean, you listed out a little bit earlier some of them. Um, yeah. I, so what I what I learned up front with technology is it can be your worst nightmare or your favorite friend, right? So, and I don't mean like that one that super annoying saying that we all say and or you hear it often, where man, computers are your best friend or your you know I don't mean computers, I mean just technology in general. So, technology can in the way I mean can be make it worse or better is it can make it complicated to. Because when you get technology, it can do so much for you and so quickly with in less time than you were doing before 
that now you want to do more, right? So, and yeah, then it yeah. becomes complicated. And then the other side of things is finding out, which I've seen a post by you on this recently <laughs> um, about, well, what small percentage do you need to be doing best? And then you use technology to enhance that big time. Yeah. And that's where I've become focused um, in just keeping it simple, but using technology to automate that sim- simplicity in your business. And so that's, that's what I've found to be a strength. I've done the opposite and it was a nightmare. Um, and that, that, so starting off, that's the thing I, I would love for people to always grasp is technology is something to be used to keep things simple, not to make it more complicated. And yeah, it just, it just becomes I, so. I think an analogy a lot of people can go along with is the telephone, right? The telephone yeah. can be your, your master or it can be your servant. And it really depends on how you respond to it. So when people get fully entranced, and I know we're going to get into automation because that's kind of the crux of the worlds that we live in, but people get really excited about automation and then they want to automate everything. And that could be okay, but most often I've seen that go wrong, right? Yeah. So um, one of, a member of my team was talking with a fixture funnel customer who is you know, relatively new to Infusionsoft. They've had it for about six months or so. And they said to him that they'd, been, they'd spent the last four months working on building some stuff out in Infusionsoft, but he hasn't made a whole lot of money. And that is like, that is almost the poster child for what I'm, I am so against. And I can tell that you are as well, because what it is, is the fascination with the technology overcame the practical application of the technology. Yeah. And so, um, how do you, how do you go about that? And then, uh, go ahead and give us some examples, but how do you go about determining what you really need in the business? I, you know, I, you know, I have my own method and approach for that, but I'm, I'm just curious, how do you determine what you really should be automating? So you hit just that point that is actually going to give return on investment versus wasting a bunch of time building out stuff that really isn't going to make a difference to the bottom line. Yeah. I mean, the, the first thing I've gone about it multiple different ways. How I look at it, at it is the whole, um, I don't know if this is common to people. It seems common to me at this point. Um, LSD model, not the drug LSD, but lead, you know, leads, sales, delivery. That's how I break it down. So you collect leads, you convert those to sales, and then you deliver products. That's if you were to simplify it. That's how I look at it. And then you can automate those steps. The ones, the one I, Ryan, I actually usually start with is the end in mind. <laughs> And yeah. I started saying, what can I use technology that I have in place to deliver really well and make that the wow experience, you know, the raving fan, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And then from there, I start reverse engineering what needs to happen in order um, for not just a delivery. Okay, well, then what, what kind of sales systems do we need in place? And then what kind of lead generation systems do we need in place? Because in the end, what I figured out is everyone has a fascination with getting more leads, 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 which is essential right yeah but that's actually easy when you know how to deliver and sell well you just all you have to do is you can pay for any amount of leads right so well that goes that goes to a point too that i have noticed is people do their lead generation without thinking like to your point they don't even think about how they're going to sell so they just start collecting email addresses and then come to find out you know my sales method really isn't that effective (laughs) maybe i should have been collecting a phone number or an address as well. And right. if you if you start with your approach, 
which is really great for somebody who's just starting, right? They don't really have much of a business going on. Then, you know, go ahead and, and go from the end to the beginning. That's great. Yeah, I mean, ever overall, I don't mean get stuck on delivery as well because a lot of people be in e- eternal product creation mode. They never actually launch. It's like going to college all their life without ec- actually getting a career. Starting well, to that point, your 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 friend there, Frank Kern, made a point that I thought was really valid too, which is a lot of people would rather spend two thousand dollars on another educational course than spend two thousand dollars on marketing. Yeah. Because if they spend the two thousand on the educational course, it's a win because they're going to learn something. But if they spend the two thousand on marketing, it might not go as planned. And so I think the same thing happens with product creation. We get there's so much um, internal fulfillment that comes from creating something. Yeah. That, that, but there's no like no rejection in the creation process, right? Right. The right. creation isn't going to tell you, oh, you suck. But when you go and try and market that, then you're going to find out if the market wants what you created. And sometimes it's hard to have the world tell you your baby's ugly. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and you said something about marketing that you might not succeed. I guarantee you won't succeed when you first market. Yeah. It's like you spend 2000 bucks, you plan on wasting most, I say wasting, using most of that to figure out the game rather than actually make a profit from it. it, it yeah, and that's a good point too. It's not too much different from spending the $2,000 on education. It's going to be an education one way. Yeah, so that's that's how I've always looked at it and just bite the bullet, get it done, and you figure out, oh, okay, I, I can increase my conversions and now I got my first sale. The other thing I want to mention though that's important with technology here is when you're developing your delivery system, I haven't created my product in most cases. And I don't mean that like you should have a crappy product and you should go sell it and then somehow figure it out. Yeah. I, I think there's a happy balance there because a lot of people sell it and don't deliver what they promised and then it sucks. So I think they I think it's important to at least <laughs> know um, and have a mapped out version of how you're gonna deliver. And you'll figure things along the way. I've created multiple products that way, I've, but I've also done it the wrong way where I've created product in advance, thought, okay, cool, or excuse me, I create the sales pitch in advance and the marketing in advance, which is what you, you can do, but I didn't have the product really squared away yeah. and over-promised and under-delivered, and that is not a fun thing either. So well, that's, that's, you know, I, I don't know if you know, yeah, I guess you know some of our story, but, you know, we did... Uh, 440 live events, you know, across the United States over the course of a couple of years, but we th- those were free events and they were essentially all exactly the same. We didn't we, we did minor tweaks as time went on to try and you know keep conversions where we the best we could get them and such because those were sales events. But we did some members only events and in those members only events we took because they were for our members. We weren't charging a whole lot of money for them. It was mostly about creating that community and connection with our audience. Um, you know, which served us very well, by the way. Um, yeah. But when we would do those events, we would sit down and th- we would talk about first, what are all the problems that our, our members are facing that we could find solutions for? So, you know, and I think that's an important part. If you're if you're looking at your business, it's not quite what you want to be. Think about, am I really addressing what my, my market wants? <laughs> you know, or did I just come with what's on the truck and I'm trying to sell it? Um, so that was, that's part one is, what do I really have that could solve the problems or address the needs or desires of the marketplace? And then from there, what I would do, we would do is then we'd say, okay, what are all the things that we could put in our marketing that would express what we're going to actually bring to the market, right? So with this event that we're doing in March, we've done the same thing. We thought about what are the things that people really need? 
whether they know it or not. And what are the things that they would like to know? And then we put those together and then we start creating our promises based on what we know our deliverable is going to actually be able to do. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it's funny that that seems like common knowledge to you and I, but I know there's so many people that don't even think about that. They just look and say, well, what opportunity do I have to sell something? And then they start building everything around that instead of, or, you know, Oh, I could do this. And they don't think about what does the market really want? Yeah. Yeah. And that and for me, and I'm sure you as well, in some way, it just came from learning that after you know, the, the failure part. Well, not to say I don't do it occasionally still, but, <laughs> well, but overall it's, yeah, yeah. It comes common knowledge to that, that, to use that practice. And yeah, definitely. I mean, Oh, and I don't want to steer away too much from technology. I mean, what, um, what do you want me to address first with technology, how I can help? The well, audience? so you, you and, uh, your, your company have done quite a bit with the one click upsell, yep. uh, technology that we developed and, how does that have an impact on businesses? I think that is probably something that you could really talk to because it's in terms of the whole business model, you guys seem to always find a way to incorporate that in. Why is that such a big deal? And, and what would you say to people that are thinking about that or haven't even considered the upsell? Well, yeah. So if you just put me into whiteboard mode is what I call that. So if I had a whiteboard, I'd be like drawing that out. In fact, I have a whiteboard on my lap right now because I just have to do that sometimes. But yeah. overall, the, if the, the model I always use, no matter what client it is, um, it might be a different offer, but the model is pretty much the same as I have an um, – and I'll get to why this is important with a one-click upsell. You always have opt-in for a new lead. New lead comes to a thing, or after they opt in, they come to a thank you page that says, you know, thanks for this. But that thank you page is not just that. It also then invites them to the next thing down on your offer list. So the free offer is one. The next one is what I would, I always call it a qualifier. It's just something, well, how are you going to qualify that lead now? Yeah. And so as soon as I go right to the, right to the throat, right? So I'm like, well, I'm going to always catch the low-hanging fruit. I take them on that thank you page. I say, great, thanks for getting our free cheat sheet, for instance. Um, let's give an example. So free cheat sheet to thank you for downloading or requesting your free cheat sheet. I would love to offer you one more thing, and we offer one more thing. That's a purchase, right? So that's not a necessarily a one-click upsell. That's just an upsell, if you will. And so they go to um, this low-hanging fruit, the people who are on the yes path is what I call it. You got a no path and a yes path. The yes path, they're going down to the next step. And, and from there, that's where we always integrate the one-click upsell. They buy right there, usually on an Infusionsoft order form, right, mm -hmm. for their first purchase, the qualifier purchase. And almost <laughs> without fail, I always integrate a one-click upsell right there, almost always. And that's to liquidate my ad spend, that's also to make money, that's also just to see if I can qualify my clients further. So um, I, I've, anytime I'm sitting down with a client, I'm seeing how I can, what assets they have in their business or their information or product that they don't really sell a whole lot of, but they could easily sell it. It's complementary to their main core products. Mm -hmm. That's where I use a one-click upsell almost without fail if, if I can. So. You, you kind of hinted at it. Let's let's have you just highlight that a little bit more. What are the reasons that you're incorporating that upsell again? Just um, for those that missed it. The first reason actually is not to liquidate because <laughs> um, most people think that or you hear that at least. The first reason is that I want to get a qualified lead. So I want to see 
who's really going to invest in themselves right now in my in these products and services I'm offering. So that's the first reason. So it's a they, qualifier. Yeah. Tells you this person's really interested in what you have. Yes. Second reason is yes, I want to liquidate my ad spend. And all that means if if you're not familiar with that, that just means you spent money some way, some shape or form to get leads into that into the beginning of your funnel and you can liquidate that and almost wash that out if you have a one-click upsell in there. So Dan Kennedy calls that the gap, right? The gap between how much you have to spend to get a customer and then yes. the initial value of the customer. Yes. And so for most businesses, this is most of your competition, they're only going to be willing to go to break even. And many of them won't even be willing to do that. They want to actually make money on the initial purchase because they're not thinking of, you know, they make a sale to get a customer. They're saying, I get a customer to make a sale, which is totally different, even though it seems like it's just a play on words. Um, what your perspective and when you're setting up business models, which is essentially what you do when you set up these funnels, mm -hmm. is you either have to enhance or create from scratch the business model for, for somebody. But what you're doing is you're saying, how can I essentially go negative on customer acquisition so that I can outspend all the competition. And a story on that, I'll just share with you, and you've, you'll probably be able to say the same story, is I heard this guy talking about uh, a niche that he was in, which is the same niche as one of our private, we only have a few private clients that we keep, and they, you know, they're all people that have to be doing over like four million a year. Yeah. And so um, this, this client is in the same niche as this, this guy that I heard talking, and this guy actually started to talk about our client. And he says, these guys are crazy. They spend like five times as much as I can afford to spend to get a customer. And I don't even understand how they can do it because they're everywhere. <laughs> I, I laughed out loud. I didn't say anything because I respect the privacy of my client. But I just laugh out loud. And I was just like, oh, boy, this guy only knew. And the, re the, the big difference was is they're big time upsellers. Yeah. You know, and if they didn't have the upsell, they couldn't afford to spend five times as much to get a customer as the other guy. But because of that, they can dominate the market. And they're what they spend each month on ads is more than most people listening to this would make, in, you know, in a month for oh, sure, yeah. maybe even in a year. And that's not to degrade anybody that's listening to this. It's just they're doing a, a ton. Yeah, that's a. Uh... That's, I mean, the power of one-click upsells is a lot. Of, there's a lot of things, but um, that's that's the one way I use it. Is right there almost almost every time, and that doesn't change. It's it's more of a what I would call a strategy than a tactic. Mm -hmm. um, the tactic is what you upsell. The strategy is always upsell. <laughs> so, right. So that's that's how I look at that, and I love that you have a tool that does that because there's multiple upsell tools out there. I've used multiple ones, Ryan, but the one I remember when you guys came out with the first one, that was really the one, only one that integrated with Infusionsoft, yeah. and I I use that tool primarily, so I have I want it to integrate with Infusionsoft, and then number two is you have it even easier now, which was really cool. So yeah, it's funny, I was looking at the chats because we had we've chatted on Skype before and you know, the last chat you said is thank you for making one click upsell a thousand times easier. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was it was awesome to to have that because of course the power again back to technology, 
it'll do all kinds of things, but the the easier you can make talk technology work in your business, the better, right? And and you actually yeah. e easier for your users, which is a plus. So yeah, we're always trying to think about how how can we remove another hurdle. And, you know, it's funny, sometimes it's often selfish. You might notice this in your own business too, but where you find yourself spending a ton of time that isn't really producing revenue per se, it may be just supporting it. Um, sometimes in that is the key to a huge breakthrough. So the, uh, just a little st inside baseball on that one click upsell is that for a long time, it was a script that was sold and people had to install it. And then, you know, and you know that sometimes, you know, different server setups caused different issues and yep. you, you would contact me and, you know, I tried to be really good about support because I, you know, even though there was no additional revenue for me, I just believed that when you create something, you need to make sure it works for people. So I do that support, but I found myself increasingly having to to help people with things that had nothing to do with my script, but just with installing it and dealing with the, the diversity of, you know, all these different things. And it got me, and one day I was just so annoyed and not, not at the customer, but just at the, the reality that I was spending so much time supporting the script, which was making other people, you know, I, I knew I had customers that were making millions of dollars a year on the script and I was not <laughs> making millions of dollars on the script. So I was like, you know, I have to solve this because I can't, uh, we obviously people need this and it's making a huge impact. So it's really important, but I can't afford to be doing this any longer. And it was that frustration that led me to think of there's got to be an easier way. So I just went back to the drawing board, totally rethought how it worked. And to be perfectly honest, the new version, not only is it super simple, as you mentioned, it's just basically you copy and paste a link. You know? yeah. It can't get much easier than that. I mean, it's like, uh, I think a monkey could do this now. Yeah. But not only that, but we recently had, um, I mean, they had to get some, some allowances with Infusionsoft for a number of API calls, but they did a, an upsell on a launch where they had 60,000 um, customers come through in wow. like a 12 hour period, if I'm remembering right, maybe it's 10,000 customers, 60,000 prospects, 10,000 customers, that's what it was. But 10, you know the reality of, of 10,000 customers coming through an upsell chain. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty intense, but like we just sailed through it uh, because of the way that we set up the new nice. uh, script. We didn't have any problems handling the volume because we wrote it in such a way that all the bottlenecks that, and I know people don't really care about how the technology works. They just want it to work, but there's a, there's a lot of different places where technology can break down in these high uh, demand environments. And we're not Facebook or Google where we have billions of dollars to be working with, but we figured out some ways to be able to handle high volume like that. And again, they had to get special permission from Infusionsoft to have the API access um, to be able to get through that for that window of time. But you know, it, it can handle that much, which is really exciting for anybody that says, hey, I, I think I could go big here. Yeah. No, that's, and Ryan, something important to understand here, because a lot of people listening are not techie. Yeah. And, and I, I, I'm here to say, like, I am not that way at all. In fact, I know technology really well. I'm like a tech geek by way of, I get the newest and latest almost every time, like new computers, new, I'm more of a Mac guy, so I have my iPhone, I've got my iMac, I've got my MacBook and an iPad, right? So I've got all that stuff. And, but what I'm good at is learning the actual system, not understanding how it works. Yeah. And a difference. And so, I know how to use it, I, but I have no idea how to put it together. So you, what you guys did was make it easier for me because I, like, I'm, I'm pretty good that way, my team. So I have 
you know I have people on my team that are are the programmers. Yeah. The people on your team and like some of your history personally, but they knew all this stuff. And, oh, just put that code here. I was like, well, I don't want to know what to put where. I just want to push the button. You know? <laughs> so like, <laughs> so that's that's how I operate a lot. Is like, can you make it push button easy for me, please? If you can't, what's the next best thing? And and you guys made you guys have made it push button like it's now. It's so that's been really nice to have a one click upsell. That's like. Quickly, when I need one, I hurry and put it in. It's no longer trying to figure out things. Um, and by the way, that wasn't just you guys, right? In the past, it was like it didn't even exist. So you had to figure it out with code and all this crazy stuff. So, yeah, we waited for a couple of years. And Infusionsoft kept saying, yeah, we, we'll probably add that in. And then it just got to a point where I, I couldn't wait any longer. <laughs> we, we needed it for for what we were doing. And so we created it for ourselves. And I was in a mastermind that was... Uh, held at Infusionsoft um, with like some pretty impressive business owners. I was kind of, I don't know if it's this way for you, Brent, but I never really considered myself to be anything out of the ordinary. And so when they invited me to be in this mastermind, I was sort of like well, looking around and go, why are you inviting me? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I definitely. We just run a little business over here, but I didn't realize uh, that what we were doing was not normal you know i just thought everybody was working hard and using infusionsoft was was doing the type of business that we were doing yeah and you know i don't consider myself to be like this super genius either i just in fact i look at myself often as being fairly simple um and i look around i see people are much more sophisticated in, in some terms but i guess it's the simplicity that helps bring value but yep. um you know, just, I never considered myself that. So, but you know, that's how it kind of all came about is we just needed it. And I sat down for a few days and I, I cranked it out. And then, you know, over time I've seen people like lift the, the script and then call it their own and resell it or give it away. And I, I guess some people would go and sue those people or whatever, but like even I won't say names because I don't believe in doing that, but you know, the, uh, anything that is a competitor to the one-click upsell right now, uh, whether it's for Infusionsoft or Stripe or whatever, um, I can go show you where they bought my script. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> all of them. You know, it's not some of them, it's all of them. They yeah. either bought it or, you know, they, they bought it for, or a customer bought it and they were using it and then they, they used it. So I, I just look at life this way and say, you know, the only way that you can really stay ahead of your competition is you have to out-innovate them. So you always have to be thinking about what is the problem that you solve for your customer and, and do it faster and better. I mean, I know there's some places where maybe using the law you know, to protect intellectual property is a good thing to do, but uh, I, I just think that there's more to be gained by running faster than the rest of the crowd than trying to trip the other crowd up if they're hanging on your coattails. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, the one of the biggest things um, that I learned from my was in sports. I played football and baseball growing up all the way through um, college. And my football coach in high school, I still use this methodology today that I learned because it just didn't make any sense to me at the time. And now it makes perfect sense. But he, he was really, really smart. His name was Randy Rare, Coach Rare. And he... <laughs> Very smart coach, still coaches today, different things. But the point is, is he would he would not care if anyone scouted our team 
and he would always say, who, you know, we'd get worried if someone was watching our practice or the pregame stuff that we were doing. Um, Because we wanted to keep it secret in hours, right? Yeah. And he was like, he's like, it doesn't matter, guys. I would give them the playbook and we would still win if we just did it better than them. And so it's the same thing with with technology and anything you're innovating is, and, uh, you know, we create intellectual property, if you will, right? So, yeah. um, but it, in the end, people are going to take it because they're learning from you and they're going to try to improve it and you just got to be better at the playbook or running the plays, right? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's kind of it. And so I, I, with technology, coming back to that, I, it's using the right technology. Fix Your Funnel, for me, I use in all of my businesses. So I have two different licenses. I own, I say all, my two businesses I own. But for my clients, it's one of those things where I use, and this is just a shameless plug, but a very, with even if you weren't the owner of a <laughs> picture funnel, um, we'd still be using it and talking about it this way because we use it. So when we, when we get a client in, we build these large funnels or small funnels for, for clients. And every time, there's always a reason to use Fix Your Funnel with it. So it's like, okay, how can we, okay, we need to do some direct mail. Okay, cool. You have a sales team. Okay, cool. You know, oh, you need a one-click upsell. Oh, okay, great. Like all those things, and especially um, SMS or text message um, conversations, um, that's a big one. Where do you guys use that the most? Mostly from stage the conversation so because our clients most of our clients we work with like high paid consultants coaches speakers yeah so they typically speak and that's where we use it the most but i've used it in my business in after an opt-in you know online even where we're able to if we collected their um their phone number for whatever reason yeah able to have a conversation to collect a little more data so more um, data mining I guess if is where we use it as well beyond just off um, getting opt-ins off the stage. So awesome. Well, you know, there's one last question that came up to my mind that we kind of uh, didn't get to when you're talking about upsells. What is the percentage that you see of upsell uptake across the the, the funnel? I mean, you could look at individuals, obviously, you know, individual upsells, and then across the funnel. You mean like the conversion from? Yeah. The first, the previous step to the actual upsell. Like, how many people actually take you up on the upsell? You uh, throw a hundred customers through. What percentage end up saying yes to a, a, an upsell or per upsell? What, do you know what your numbers are that you normally I, see? I know a variation. I don't know the exact numbers. I'd have to pull those ones. Uh-huh. But I would say it's anywhere between twelve and fifteen percent. So per upsell or across the funnel. Across the across the funnel, so or no no per per upsell. So and typically, by the way, I don't do a whole. I should do more. I don't do a whole lot of upsells by way of in one funnel. I do maybe two to three. Yeah. So that's but um, and then it gradually goes down. So if I have three upsells in one funnel, then it, it gradually goes down. Not always, but it's kind of natural for it to go down because you're you're getting less. It's it's the low hanging fruit. Yeah. You've only got so many people wanting to say yes to that many things, and so, um, so that's. But overall, the first upsell is what I'm talking about. After their initial purchase, to the next upsell uh-huh. or to the first upsell, I should say, that one's usually 12 to 15 percent. I don't know if that's high or low. What you've seen, but that's usually what we're seeing on our end. So, you know, it, it varies by. There's a lot of factors, like anything, right? Yeah. So if your price is 
is uh, like a no-brainer price, then you can see 40, 60%. Um, if your price is right where it should be, you're usually seeing about 20%. Uh -huh. If it's a little bit high or the offer isn't compelling. So there's price and, and offer, right? Yeah. So how, how well are we able to communicate what we are trying to offer? How well does it fit in? You know, another part of it could be is how many people are being let through on that first purchase, right? Yeah. So if the first purchase is really low, then your, your upsell number might be a little bit lower as well. So there's a lot of different factors that come into play. But normally I, I see around 20% for the whole funnel. Nice. So if you're at 15, 12 to 15 per, you end up being over 20%, obviously, in terms of number of, of upsell transactions you have per customer that comes through. Yes. So that's where you're seeing the ability to, to offset your, your ad spend. Well, hey, this has been really great. I think we actually covered our last question early on in it, so I'm not even going to go to that. But uh, I think anybody that's listened in here has had a great opportunity to really understand uh, a number of great business lessons, but also how they can be using technology more appropriately to get leverage in their business. So thank you so much for all that you've shared in this uh, interview. It's been great. Yeah, thank you for having me, Ryan. I appreciate it. That's been a pleasure. Anything you'd like to share in closing? Uh, closing thoughts or remarks I interrupted you on and didn't get, let you get out? I'll just keep it keep it simple. Don't let technology get in the way of actually making money and then use Fix Your Funnel. <laughs> that would be it. <laughs> so. Appreciate that. Well, thanks, Brent. It's been great. All right. Thank you. Yeah.